Welcome to the Path to CPO, where we peel back the layers of success and delve into the journeys of the most dynamic chief people officers. I'm your host, Nelson Sibelingham, CEO and co-founder of How Now. Together, we'll explore the trials, the triumphs and insights of these trailblazers across people, culture and HR at some of the fastest growing companies in the world. This is not just their story, it's a roadmap for all aspiring people leaders. Tune in, rise up, and let's embark on this enlightening journey together. Tatiana, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Nelson. Thanks for having me. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. I'm so excited for this chat. Um, you've got such an eclectic background, so many things you dabbled in. Um, but we're going to start by taking you down memory lane and asking you, what was your first role in HR? Yeah, thank you. It's a bit of a painful memory, I will say, because I started in payroll. Oh, wow. So, um, yeah, that was a bit of a journey. Um, I was studying economics, and during that time, I was looking for a side job, and I asked them, the company who was supposed to find me one, get me into an international environment, get me somewhere where I can use languages, because I'm into languages, and, um, you know, kind of make use of my time. And they had no other idea but to put me into a payroll department. Luckily, they put me into a payroll department of an amazing technology company. Um, it doesn't exist today anymore. It's been Nortel Networks. But back then, um, this was my kickstart. And actually, I had spent five and a half years from that experience with them. And um, it intrigued me. I wanted to get out of payroll very quickly, I will say. Yeah. Um, so I was looking for other ways within the organization. But payroll was the first, so really doing the groundwork. Uh, doing the papers, the administration, the contractual part, the engagement with the local works council. And um, that really then set me off. And eventually I stayed in the whole field. And why? And why? You know, in the first place, I didn't know anything about HR. It, it was never on my mind that this could be even a career. I didn't know anything about it. Economics to me was just a kind of generalist background education. You know, you, you do the, the rough stuff and then you'll figure it out. And as I started in this company doing this payroll thing and really getting a little bit frustrated, I asked around within the organization, what else can I do? How can I add value? What other things? You all run around very busy. So, so what is it that I can do? One of the ladies back then said, can you wait for another week? There will be a lady coming back from travel and she's a senior HR business partner for a certain business area. She might have some work for you. And my first reaction was, she's a what? <laughs> I never heard the term, but I was intrigued enough to you know, hang out another week. Uh, speak with her when she came back and I was like oh my gosh I want that I never knew that existed but what intrigued me was the fact that she would sit in the center of decision making she would be part of the discussions right up at the board level down to the execution so you could see literally in front of your eyes the discussion leading to an execution and I didn't know that this is something that I would be interested in but as I saw it unfold in front of me, I was like, that's a job. Like you can do these things and you get paid for it. You know, you talk to people, you engage, you have a great time. And then some results happen. I was like, that sounds about fun. So it was my first reaction. Could I join? Could I understand what you're doing? Because with my generalist kind of, you know, background, I could go any place. I'm still not decided. And she said, no props. I have work for you. I'll take you with me. 
And as I sat there the next few weeks and months, I was like, I think I know what this is. I really want to learn it. And then I started the education within the organization, actually started on the job. And then they started adding up all the trainings and qualifications and stuff. So I then moved, obviously, um, you know, through the ranks and, and left and right and center. But the combination, and you did mention, you know, I, I have a bit of a um, background, uh, which is less typical, shall I say, and less usual for, for many, many HR and people leaders. What became very clear for me is that I love this entrepreneurial end-to-end -end view and I love to make decisions, but I don't like to be the one and only. I want to be part of something greater. And that clearly became my mantra ever since, that there is something in an organization, if you're in the middle of it, you have access to everybody, you have a lot of inspiration from all sources, and you can really make a difference. And again, being paid for it, you know, it's it's quite of a wonderful combination. And um, this is why it, yeah, it caught me. And uh, actually, it, it's never let go. And before we come to your entrepreneurial endeavors, um, is there anything you know now that you wish you knew in that first HR job that you had, the first five years that you spent in HR? Yeah. What I didn't know and, and what really dawned on me as I got pushed into it was how little I know about the things that are non-HR specific, but that influence the work. So just simple things like, is this considered as part of the business plan that there is a change management, you know, um, requirement and that it takes people quite a bit of time to adapt and adjust to new realities? Is it considered that there is a sourcing strategy to be thought about if you want to open a new business in a new country? Is there other things that um, should have been part of the business plan discussion and the kind of evaluation stage, but you have only been thrown over when it comes to right. execution? You know, like, oh, by the way, would you mind now, you know, building that office and finding 100 people tomorrow and, 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 and you would go, well, I would have appreciated a bit more lead time. So I, I really was struck by the sequence of engagement. And I didn't know whether that was normal or not, but right. I did feel it wasn't quite right. So I wished somebody would have told me before you actually can really do HR work, you have to learn to do many, many other things. You need to learn how to read a business plan. You need to have financial acumen to the point that you can challenge certain line items. You need to demand budget and resources for your work because it's not natural that you are able and capable of doing it all by yourself. You need time and attention from certain leaders in order to get along and, and make sure that there is a you know contracting and recontracting phase in, in the whole setting. And you need time for the execution. It can't just be done, you know, on the side. So there's a lot of requirements on change management capabilities, project management skills. I had no clue. I didn't learn project management per se. So all of these communication skills, how do you engage stakeholders? How do you read a balance sheet? None of that was ever taught, yeah. um, you know, let alone um, informed. So I sat there, had a massive learning curve, but I wish somebody would have told me up front, I could have done my groundwork and homework and would have been more prepared, better prepared, faster, more efficient, more successful. But I just felt it's been harder 
to, right. to jump on it right when the train is already in full speed and then to deliver. You know, we kind of still manage. We're we yeah. great at this. Yeah. But then I would have wished it in a little bit of a different sequence, yeah. And, and so how did you go about building those skills? I worked harder, that's for sure. I asked for assignments into business projects consciously because I said, I don't know how to understand how this should be done. I mean, I understand that the tooling and the methodology and stuff, you can read about it. But in the context of this particular project or initiative, how do we do it? So I sat next to the best. I basically knocked on their doors and I asked and I said, would you mind? Can I be your shadow for a while? Can I just listen? Can I just grab your attention? Can I just ask stupid questions, really? Yeah. And a lot of people, if not everyone, were extremely generous and said, if it helps, you know, I'll spend time with you. And then I really worked hard. So I would take the less obvious routes and obviously the less easy ones because I felt if I don't learn all of this then there is no way I can do what I really think I want to do which is have the impact and have the broad view and, and you know sit at a table at some point where yeah. I can co-design the agenda and not just be the executing part you know and um, kind of at, at the receiving end so lots of self-investment that's for sure um, lots of asking for help, which sometimes we are not good at, and um, lots of really trying to adapt and apply it immediately into real work issues, right. not just a theoretical construct, you know, oh, how would that look if? No, 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 today, what yeah. do we need today? How do we go about it? Who's best in class in this in the entire organization? Let's find out and let's apply immediately. Yeah, and I'd love to go back to what you mentioned around you know, almost being called in too late, right? You're, you're basically reacting yeah. to orders. And this is a common theme that I get to hear when I speak to L&D and people mm. where, you know, stuck between reacting to, you know, being order takers and being brought in too late to the speak. <laughs> and, and instead yeah. move to a place where they get to be a lot more proactive and strategic. And, and I guess, end up with a seat at that table, right? Um, yeah. If, let's say you are someone who's on the other end, you're on the reactive order-taking side in the organization where you are, mm -hmm. and you want to move to a place where you get to be that more proactive, strategic, mm -hmm. how would you recommend I do that? I've seen a lot of people complain about the fact, and, you know, just state it as a fact, it is what it is. I keep getting it too late. I wished it were different. My immediate reaction is, so what are you doing about it? And typically what people then do is to say, well, I say that it's too late and next time they should think about it. And I was right. like, okay, that's a fair start. Well, what else do you do? And what I found, what is really, really powerful is just asking open questions. So I will find ways to go to the stakeholders and say, I understand where this comes from. And I believe I you know, can picture the result and, and the target vision or, or goal or expectation. Have you considered this? What about that? Would you know that if we touch this, it would fall over there? And just leave it there. And interestingly, what you will find is there has never been a bad intention of ignoring 
or forgetting us. Yeah. It's just been a lack of awareness. So just like nobody told me you need to know project management and financials and stuff, nobody right. told them when you do a massive technology implementation, you right. need a bit of change management and communication. Yeah. And maybe you need a person who's skilled in that and doesn't do it, you know, just as a side. So the awareness part is where I'm saying, let's just assume there is no, you know, malintent. What are you doing to give them the credit and to say, look, you have forgotten this. I'm here to help you. You need to include me. Here's what I can offer. I don't think you've considered, but if you have, it's awesome. How else, you know, can I add value to this? And this conversation is always, I've never seen an exception, an eye opener, because yeah. people will say, oh, now that you mention it, yeah, there was something. We knew we forgot something. We didn't know what it was. Or it would be, no, no, we consciously kept you out because, okay, but then you can have a substantial conversation about the topic. And it's less about, oh, we were ignored as a function or you forgot us because you hate us. N none of that. They just forgot or they weren't even aware that they might forget and really suffer uh, badly in the end. Yeah, I really like that because it's almost like the argument shouldn't be you need to get HR involved for the sake of getting HR involved, right? It, it, no. It's almost making them realize you have these problems right now because you didn't have this input from the HR. And it's more kind of problem focused rather than it being about office politics, so to speak, right? It's you didn't call me, you forgot about me, you didn't realize I was important. And, and it's less about that. No, and I really, I really like that take. And kind of going back to your journey, you've obviously worked in many different sectors. And um, yes. How important do you think it is to have that domain expertise about the sector itself to, to be able to lead HR. Like, you know, if you're working in telco, how much do you really yeah. know about the t telecoms industry? <laughs> I can tell you that I knew nothing. <laughs> um, and, and the same goes for many other places I went into. So I even recall when I interviewed with Adobe and I said, I know this PDF reader, but for me, that's, free so how do you even make money i had no idea whatsoever they were laughing i will say in the first place you don't need the industry knowledge now some will challenge that and say it helps or you have to know the regulatories and stuff and i would say okay i can read that i can learn that or i can find experts who can make sure that they fill those gaps and i don't think you're hired for industry expertise what you're hired for is bring the HR and people piece to it. Because everything else, you don't need to educate people. You have to assume that they're the best in their field and they will rely on you being the best in your field. And I think it's even an advantage if you don't know too much in the industry because then you become very blinded by the facts and by the realities that you've already witnessed. I'd rather prefer somebody who comes with a very challenging point of view, a bit of a distance and says, why are you doing it? Right. Because at the end of the day, it's all about people. And people are not different in telco than in, you know, pharma care, than in retail, than in I don't know what. At the end of the day, it's the same needs. It's the same expectations on the commercial side of things. You know, if you're not in a charity, then obviously you have an interest and certain stakeholders demand certain results. It is at the end of the day about your efficiency to adapt 
do I have a different pace in technology versus maybe a, a retail sector? Yes, of course you do. Can I learn it? I think you can to some extent, but you have to have more of an intrinsic motivation wanting to be on the edge because in many cases there is no blueprint for what good looks like. You just create it as you fly. On the other hand, again, that's not what you've been brought into. You've been brought into doing amazing groundwork, setting up the organization for growth, for acceleration, for development, for doing good in the world. That's no different in this sector than in any other. And I wanted to touch on um, your kind of chapter, four-year chapter at Vodafone, but specifically around the kind of HR business partnering side, right, of, yes. of working in business and what you kind of took away from that. And did, do you think that experience of HR business partnering, um, I guess, helped or, or gave you a better understanding of the wider business that kind of helped you on your journey to becoming a leader? It certainly has because, I mean, Vodafone was an acceleration in itself. You know, three months in a tech company is, you know, one year in another. Mm -hmm. So the one thing that I've learned there is that I was much more entrepreneurial and almost like a segment leader than an HR person. Why? Because every single transformation or project that I was involved in was a unique setting in itself. It was either something that had to be built from scratch, never done before, or it had been built for some reason it didn't work the way it was expected, or it was a territory that was kind of known, but we had to take a new approach to it because the demand on the customer side had changed. So a bit of a greenfield, which obviously you know is a bit of my preference and you will see from my ICV. But on the other hand, all my tooling didn't wasn't enough. It didn't suffice. So can I do the contractual stuff? Can I build new offices? Can I set up teams? Can I make sure the communication and change? Yeah, yes, yes, and yes. Can I introduce Bennett? Yes. That wasn't the point. The point was this is either non-existent or dysfunctional. How are you going to fix it? And you as whoever the team was. But obviously, everybody looked at me because it was like, it's a people problem, you know, go fix <laughs> it because technology is amazing. Processes are great. Um, you know, stakeholders love us. But somehow I was like, mm, OK, I don't think I can do it by myself. So I had to step back and say, am I good enough in this? And if not, why? And my discovery was very fast that I can't be a classic administrator, executor, problem solver here. We are all amazing at crisis management and firefighting. I have to be much more strategic. And I have to be at the front of setting the scene. So it's not about you all tell me what you think good looks like. And then I just add and say, sure, we can do it. And here is how. I have to be the one co-creating the solution. That pushed me extremely far out of, of what I ever done before. I mean, I have been heading HR functions and I've done transformations, but they were smaller scale. That's one. Secondly, they weren't as impacting across the globe, multiple industries um, from a customer point of view, um, multiple internal business lines because we set in a group function. So whatever you would do would impact anybody and everybody. Thirdly, budget constraints massively fighting for time and attention because everybody only has so much. 
and yet trying to do it well and trying to do within certain legal and other regulatory requirements because, you know, labor law and things don't go away. I was completely out of my comfort zone. And what I chose to do is to say, my HR toolkit is solid. I know how that works. I've learned project management, so that's great. I've learned a few other things. I can do that. What I have not done is gaining the confidence and understanding the language. How do I sit at the steering side of things? So how do I attend a steering committee? What's my voice? What kind of questions or statements can I even put out there? Do I have to pre-contract and pre-negotiate certain things before we push it to the public? Am I aware that there's other macroeconomic factors we have to consider now? It's not no longer about us. It's about lots of other things. I was overwhelmed, to say the least, but I found that I just have to be genuine with myself and really open to anybody else to say this is way beyond what I had done before. I think I can add my share personally. I'm passionate about new things, but I think I'm lacking a, a bit of stuff. So I took lessons, and I will tell you quite some hard lessons, on asking people to take me under their wing and just let me participate and gradually start taking over. So I would work with a transformation leader and just understand what's their thinking, what's their you know, train of thought, how do they process information, how do they make sure all the angles have been considered. That's not a typical way of how you do HR work, right? It is for me by now, but back then it was like, whoa, that's a new dimension. And nobody teaches you that at school or anywhere else. So I just really went the hard way again and um, learned and learned and learned really, really long and hard hours. But I had to. I didn't feel that I would be of any necessity in this whole setting if I were just, you know, one of the people doing the work and um, pushed myself to be on the design side of things and, and the co-creation. And that was a novum that was really different. But I think it was also the reason why we were successful in what we did. There's so much there to unpick, uh, Tatiana. But, oh, probably. Uh, think, um, I just wanted to go to this idea of being almost finding the courage to be vulnerable about the fact that you don't know. Right? Actually, this is this is more than I've done before. I don't know if I'm ready for this. This is I'm, I'm out of my comfort zone there. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess, how did you deal with that? And, and how did you think it was okay or find the courage or... Um, to, to talk about it with other people without being necessarily worried. You know, often the concern is, are they going to judge me? Right? Are they going to think, yeah. this person, why Why did we hire them? Why did we give them this role? Because exactly. <laughs> right? like, it, it, and that's always a fear. Um, but, you know, as we know, it's a very common, you know, everyone in every role has those moments of, of doubt and fear. But how did you deal with that? So... First of all, I cried off my my eyes. I will tell you that. You know, you go home and you think, what am I doing here? You know, I'm not good enough for this. I should go home. I should do something else. I should do, I don't. I was extremely vulnerable. That's true. But I also have a spirit of wanting to win. And I had a feeling that I don't know what my actually competition is. I didn't know what I'm fighting against. I knew what I'm fighting for. But I didn't know what the obstacles are that I have to overcome. You know, fighting the unknown is hard. And 
I, you know, typically as you do it, I took it to family and friends. Uh, I would speak to them and say, do you have a similar situation at work? You know, this is a bit of weird. How do you go about this? You get encouragement. No, you can do it. You're brave. You just have to ask. And you sit in this, you know, group of people and you think, I'm not going to say a word. I'm just stupid. You know, I can't. So I took the courage eventually to say, I'm either going to ask or I'm going to quit. Right. But I'm not going to be halfway there. That's not my ambition. I don't want to be a nuisance. I don't want just to be there to have a job. That's not me. If I'm there, I'm all in or I'm out. And it took me a while. I had an amazing mentor who found and realized that I was a bit shaky. And he would push me a little and just say, huh, that, that was fun, wasn't it? And I was like, no, <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't fun. And we were like, so, so why not? You know, what's your takeaway from this meeting? And he would be, you know, all cheered up and all happy. And I, I would be failing and crashing and you know, really falling apart. And it, through these conversations, I just felt like, wow, I've probably been too hard on me. Let me first find out what am I actually fighting against? What does it mean I have to put myself out there? So I did take the courage to go into a meeting and say, can I just be listening? Right. Because I may not have any input today. Apologies in advance. If there is an expectation, I'm sorry, I can't meet it. But can I just sit here and listen? And I would literally physically back then put myself in a corner and just listen and take hundreds of notes and pages. And then I would go to this mentor and to a few other people and just say, did I get this right? Did you hear this as well? That was interesting, wasn't it? What about this? And obviously I had a manager, I will say, who was super supportive. So when I said I didn't quite get where this came from and why it's ending in this conclusion, she would take me there and say, oh, this is why. And, you know, there is a reference to it and it's been done this way in the past and it was successful. So there is a reason. And I would go, okay, interesting. And now I understand, but then still I'm challenging this. And she would be like, oh, great insight. Why didn't you say it? And I was like, oh, no, I wouldn't dare. Yeah. And then she would go, next time I will set the stage for you and say, you have an interesting opinion about a certain topic and I will ask you to present it. And I looked at her and said, uh, thank you, but no, thank you. And she said, no, no, that's the only way because it's been your idea. You are the one. And people will be reacting the way that they will be reacting, but you have a stand and you have your five minutes of fame. Yeah. I don't know how much I practice this thing. <laughs> you know, and I was you know, sweating all over, but I took the chance because again, I'm all in or I'm not. I took the chance. And I took baby steps from there because the reactions were, oh, that's an interest. Like it was a no brainer. It wasn't an event. It was like, oh, yes, you know, somebody made a statement. It's a valid one. We're going to put it on the list of our to do's and considerations. Thank you very much. Next topic. And I was like, oh, that was it. Okay. So that wasn't too bad. I wasn't yeah. burned. Um, I can go back and do this again. And, you know, my mentor would say, see, that was fun, wasn't it? And yeah. I was like, today it was a little bit more fun. Yeah. So, I had to, uh, to me, otherwise I would have left. To me, it was, I had to go try. And then I realized what I was fighting against. It was more the creature in my head. It was more this kind of, the wall is this big and this thick and this yeah. close to you versus 
go find out first and then get scared and cry if needed. Yeah. But don't do it the other way around. So don't leave room for assumptions was um, a huge statement from my mentor back then. And it's become one of mine. And at what point then did you realize um, that, you know what, I'm I'm ready to go for a CEO Mm. role, right? Um, When did you think, I think I've got what it takes. How did that happen? Yeah. So I did these three huge transformation projects at Vodafone next to having some day jobs. Um, And I realized, I think I have everything. I have a toolkit. I have experience. I have been in various settings of uh, various levels of drama. Um, I have had great successes and some very interesting failures along the journey. And I think... I want to be the one now who doesn't just co-design, but actually shapes the way. And where can I do it? I think I can do it in a setting where it's a bit less set, where it's a bit less predefined. And I could do it where I won't cause too much damage if I mess up. And this was a very conscious choice. I would go to the startup world because... It's not that they can appreciate and, you know, swallow a lot of mess, but there would be more fluidity, more spirit for adventure, more willingness to take risks, which in a certain corporate settings, you just have to be mindful. There are certain things you can't do any longer and you shouldn't for the right reasons. But in a startup world, nothing is really defined. You work on moonshots, you work on ideas which partly have never been explored before. You know the groundwork, people have to have contracts and feel safe and get paid on time and all the rest of it. Everything else is up in the air. So whichever idea I bring, there is no, no waiting or no assessment against something. Yeah. And the people who typically lead startups are either product leaders, so they know their product and they know how it's going to fit customers. They are salespeople who are amazing at selling you everything on earth. Um, Or they're financial people, you know, they they know how to do the the mastering of the finances. But nobody knows the people aspect. I haven't come across a startup leader who knows how that works. Typically, you know, they're first-time leaders ever. They have this great idea and then they're smart. So I felt this is the place. It's innocent enough to give them everything and, you know, pretend or even claim I know stuff. But equally, they're eager and ambitious and very, very risk-heavy in terms of, yeah, go, go, go. I mean, what do we know? You are the one to tell us how this works and we will rely on you. And this was the moment when I said, I'm going to give it a shot, see if it helps. And then as I grew through different startups, I did some consulting on the side as well. But as I grew through some of those startups, the first question after bringing the conceptual ideas to life would be, that's great, thank you. How do we implement it? Yeah. Uh, well, you would pass it on to these people. No, we don't have those people. Sorry. <laughs> Can you do it? Yeah. And you would be, okay, that wasn't quite my plan, but understand if that's a necessity. So I would take interim roles and actually do the work. So on one hand, I would go back like 15 years, you know, doing payroll. It never leaves me. (laughs) Um, Doing paperwork and administration and calling up the health insurance, you know, because it's not set up properly. 
But I would also sit with them, you know, brainstorm and just say, what could the world look like if? Yeah. And I would add my value, everything I've learned from kind of sitting in line businesses, sitting at strategic chairs and tables, sitting in transformation projects, leading some of that. And I would go, here's my suggestion. And nobody would challenge. So the pressure to make it right was high. But on the other hand, none of what we thought up was ever done before. So it felt like we can do this together. We don't know everything, but we will find ways. Until then, what we know will be good enough to carry us to a certain point until we find a new demand and a new expectation, and then we'll figure it out. And this was my journey. And after I've done this a few times, I felt like, okay, now I think I really know what, what I can do and how I can do it. And now I'm really comfortable if a bigger player asks me and invites me to be part of the journey, I feel confident to do it. Right. And um, before I go to a quick fire round and wrap up, I do really want to ask you about your entrepreneurial endeavors. So kind of starting yes. with, um, I guess, what made you then say, you know what, I, I really want to risk now is I'm going to take that leap of faith and and start my own business and, and go down that yeah. route. Um, and also just kind of connected to that, how did you feel your experience in HR? Did it help? Did it not help in terms of your entrepreneurial journey? Yeah. The big takeaway for me is at the end of the day, it's really all about people. And whatever we do will touch somebody in some way. If I can control as much of the narrative and the outcome, then I think that's a good place to be. So that was a bit of the entrepreneurial drive to say, if I do it, I would love to do it my way. Because I've learned a lot and I've learned especially also the, the pieces that are not great, that I would never do you know, if, if I were in this person's or in this organization's shoes. So you learn a lot about how not to. And then you have a few amazing experiences, how it should be done or how you think, you know, this is really great and you would love to replicate. And then there is a space where it's just like, why have we never thought about this? Like, how is this even possible? Because we all complain about the same issues, we all have the same pain points, but nobody is then making the next step of saying, well, let's fix it. Yeah. And I got tired of it. I think just very literally, I got tired of it because I found the frustration in the system so over overloading that you couldn't have any more solution-oriented talks with anybody. I just felt like really, you know, pushed into this, oh, you have the answers. And if you don't, nobody has the answers. And it's like, well, thanks for the pressure. Appreciate <laughs> it. But actually... I don't think we are doing ourselves any justice and we are not helping ourselves, especially as a profession, by not taking the leap now and making a difference ourselves because nobody will going to come to rescue. And people were like, okay, so what do you mean? And I would go, why don't we brainstorm? Okay, brainstorming is cool. Why don't we have a conversation and record it? Oh, recording is cool. Why don't we take three action items? Oh, three action items is cool. Who's going to do it? Mm, busy, sorry, can't do it. And I was like, okay, I will do it. Yeah. And I was a bit on a quest to say, I want to prove it. Either to myself, it is possible if you take the action and you execute through to the end and you ask you know, a lot of allies and friends and supporters, or I will be proven wrong 
that there is no solution possible, uh, go home and keep complaining. One way or the other, I would be okay if I tried. And as I tried, you won't believe it, Nelson, the world opened up. I would go like, have we thought about, take a simple thing like a learning academy. You put it online, you put all the classes up there and you ask people to use it. And they would go like, yeah, thanks for having it there, but I have no time to use it. Yeah. Classic, yeah. So you would say, okay, are we making it easy enough to integrate it into your daily work life? What do you mean with easy? It's it's on the browser. It's app, you know, mobile enabled. It's, you know, click and drop and pictures and stuff. Like that wasn't my question. Do we have the systemic setup? Do we have leaders awareness? Do we have the time that they have in their day job? How is their work structured? Do we make it easy enough so it's kind of more the snippets type of learning rather than the overwhelming we have to get out and lock ourselves away for three days? How do we encourage it? How do we make it easy? And they were like, yeah, in some facets we have it. And I said, no, you don't. Yeah. How can we go there? So you went go one level down, all of a sudden you have a solution. And sometimes it's just the communication you have to adjust. Sometimes it's the accessibility. And sometimes, yes, you have a policy which pretends that it's helpful, but it's not. So you're demanding X hours of learning and development, but people don't have it in their diary. And if yeah. they ask it, people say, do it during your lunch breaks. Okay, change your policy and yeah. say, as of now, once a month, two hours every Friday is your learning time and nobody's allowed to ever disturb it. Yeah. Done deal. Close yeah. it. Yeah. So those little things became small victories. Right. Well, I felt there is more, there is more, there is more. And this is when I started really pushing harder and saying, I've grown up in technology. What else can we do? What does it look like if we now start talking machine learning, yeah. artificial intelligence? What about additional ideas that we might have? Can we simplify? Can we make it faster, more enticing, more exclusive, more something, something? And all of a sudden, again, another world w opens up because yeah. you start learning design thinking and agile and user experience and stuff. And it gave me the hope and the spirit to say, it is all possible. It is what we make out of it. And I love bringing that to the HR world, no matter in what setting, just to say, keep that space for creativity. I have blockers in my calendar. I encourage every single person to have those. And I just call it think time. And I just say, use it as think time for what else you could do if everything else was sorted. And that's a huge learning from my entrepreneurial world. I don't think I would have had it in a classic HR setting. No, absolutely. You know, I can relate to that. I think people often overlook having that ring fence time and really protecting it like yeah. would protect an appointment yeah. with someone else, right? Often um, I hate yeah. people who block it out, but actually when they need to book a meeting and that's the first to go. Uh, and it's almost not appreciating how giving yourself that time is is so important. Yes, uh, we could keep going. I've got so many more questions for you, Tatiana. But Probably. I'm, <laughs> I, I, I'm conscious of the time, um, but I do want to quickly squeeze in a quick fire round. I'm going to throw a few quick questions, and if you can give me snappy answers back, um, yeah, are you ready? Go. All right. Absolutely. Okay. Let's do it. What's your best productivity hack? My breathing exercises in the morning. Nice. Okay. Sorry, there's one person knocking in the door. I hope you can, you know, cut yeah, this out no while problem. recording. Give yeah, me go for it. 
That's the perks of recording a show from home. Uh, people, are not sure. uh, this sure. is the, the new world we live in. Um, I tell you. you, you're saying productivity hack breathing in the morning. So every morning you do some breathing exercises. Yes, I have a special um, technique which I learned from uh, one of the serial founders uh, in Berlin, actually. And uh, because I was stunned, you know, what is he doing there and how can he be so active all day long and still have time for networking events and having great ideas. And next morning he has another list of to do's and things. I was like, how does this work? So he taught me and then I got deeper into it and realized that in order to be at my best, I have to take care of myself and I have to take care of mental capacity as well. And in order to be thinking well, Actually, you have to be physically well. I didn't know that connection too well back then. Yeah. But those breathing exercises just help me get grounded, think about what's really important, kind of also, you know, lower my stress and cortisone levels. I learned a lot about that stuff and just feel like I am in control and I'm at peace. And now the world can come. So it's become my daily habit every single morning. It's part of my routine. And um, during the day, if there are some hectic times, then um, it comes there every now and then. Yeah. Amazing. Um, do you have a favorite book or podcast that you'd recommend? Uh, on the podcast side of things, I would say it's definitely um, the Hacking HR piece. So we have a community um, where I have been co-hosting a series of podcasts which is just good fun because um, it's unscripted most of the time. (laughs) And uh, we have one closing question, which I love asking, and and that's always a a real amazing one. So I would recommend that one. It always goes about, you know, if if there was one thing you would love to keep doing or one thing you you would be able to change, you know, what would it be? And it would be a call to action uh, to everybody listening. So I love that. As to books... I'm reading like everything, literally, and I have learned to go deeper into neuroscience because I'm curious about the root causes. So why do we think the way we think or do we even think, you know, it's a bit more philosophical, but um, more in the side of challenging the system and the status quo and humanity in general. So lots of amazing things out there. Harari, of course you know, um, one of the authors that uh, I would recommend just for a bit of brain food. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Best advice you've ever been given? As I mentioned, never leave room for assumptions. Yeah, I like that one. And the last one for you, what are you most proud of? Wow. On a personal level, proud of my family and my children. Uh, My kids are now in an age where I'm still glad that they talk to me. So that's (laughs) great. On a professional level, that I could stay true to myself. I never had to be somebody else in order to impress. I tried, I will say I tried. I thought that is necessary. But I always came back to my core and said, you either take me the way you know I am uh, or you don't. Either is fine. But I will not change to please you because that would give you the worst of me. And I don't think it's worth it. I love that. I'm selfishly going to throw in one more. Um, oh. I'm, becoming, I'm becoming a new parent 
in less than two months, Tatiana. Wow, congratulations. Thank you. I'd love to get what's that nugget of parental wisdom that you can share with me as a new parent? Wow. My kids say to me that I've given them the impression that their opinion counts. So I have spoken to them as if they had an opinion from the very very early age. So, you know, so I would explain and then I would give them space to process and come back with, with their thinking. And sometimes it's just like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Uh, and sometimes it's just the laughter. But I would try to really give them really that space to say, you're a human being with your needs and your desires and your dreams and your fears. And as much as I can, you know, assume that I know what you need, I will try to meet as many needs as I can, but there will be something I don't know. Yeah. And I'm hoping that, you know, you can tell me, but I have to encourage it. And if I look back, I think that really makes me happy that they took it on board and that they have become equally open and understanding and uh, just, I think, generous is the right word generous with them when they engage with other people to give them that space so you can't start early enough is, is the only advice i can give you on that incredible advice and thank you for sharing Tatiana. it's been an absolute pleasure thank you for your time oh the pleasure was mine thank and, you and i hope to have you back on again so i can get through all of the rest of my questions but thank you very much thank you thank you for listening to another brilliant episode of lnd disrupt the podcast that's powered by how now Our learning experience platform helps companies bring relevant learning and skills into the flow of work to make meaningful learning a part of everyday work. But don't just take our word for it. Here's what some of our customers have to say. And if you like what you hear and want to learn more about HowNow, just use the link in the description to book a demo. As a loyal L&D Disrupt listener, we'll send you a swag pack containing a copy of the book Learning at Speed and some HowNow merch once we've shown you around and we needed somewhere to have a central home for all of the learning content that was being created at Pace. And we also really wanted to to support a modernised learning, so moving to that 70-20-10 model, where learning is really integrated into the flow of work at the point of need. And we knew that HowNow would be the perfect platform to support with that modernised approach. And I was confident that HowNow was right for FitFlop because it passed the eyeball test at the Learning Technologies Conference, number one. Does it look like it's going to be user-friendly and people might actually want to use it? My previous companies, I'm used to using very clunky LMSs that don't do much to help with engagement. We've just launched How Now, actually, um, where I am at the moment with Lucid Group. And um, what we've focused on is the building of habits around learning. So trying to get people into healthy and regular habit of learning so that it becomes an everyday activity as opposed to something they have to take lots of time out. We're very time poor. The tools they've got, the information they need is where they need it at the point. So integrating into Microsoft Teams as we use it or any other collaboration tool, making sure that any learning is accessible at their point of need. So um, where they can ask a search first question and then um, we can provide them the information they need straight away.